This is the 94th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me is my dear co-host Christopher Wikström with our dear friend Robinson Sen out for summer still, but I think we might be the full force to come next episode. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the Top Decked app. In this episode, Christopher will report from his latest local game store shenanigans, which I believe were quite successful. But before we go into that, I do have to say that the recently played Pro Tour Lord of the Rings in Modern was a fucking blast to watch. The top eight was thrilling, but a final between Jake Bielstein and Christian Calcano that was just legendary. Seriously, that game four. I haven't played Modern in five years, but seeing Bielstein taking it down in his Pro Tour debut in the fashion it happened it really gives me the itch and the production value was really high here Wizards coverage team really hit it right on how to cover a large tournament if you have the resources to sort of do so so happy to see them finally getting this right after so many years of criticism against what they used to be doing yeah for sure like I I was quite busy so whenever I could tune in there was almost always a match, which I thought was fantastic. And it was really easy to keep track on what was happening. I was really impressed with how quick, you know, when Karn, the great creator, landed, how quickly they got the sideboard up on display to see what options there were for the minus. And they're super good as an observer, like just as an audience watching. So really great. And I watched some of the games and it was super cool. Seems the one ring is good in modern. Who knew? Man, who knew? Anyway, we're here to talk about Paper Legacy. Christopher, tell us about last week at the LGS. Yeah, so I decided to play Aluren with uh, the full playset of Bowmasters now when I finally had them. Uh, all the arrows in the quiver, eh? Yeah, like too many arrows. Last time I tried it, I only got to play the two uh, but now I have the full playset, so I, I wanted to try it out real bad. And if you want to see the deck list, there's an Instagram and Twitter account from our LGS organizers called Stockholm Legacy or Legacy Stockholm. It's one of the two. You can check that out. So anyways, match one was up against Turbo Depths. This is a matchup that I've for a long time talked about how I think it's very favor- favorable for Aluren. They go really hard on making Merit fast with discard and stuff like that and you just have so many flyers post board you also get in my case brazen borrowers and veil of summer which makes their discard weaker and get a clean answer so game one and two is pretty much me putting up blockers in the air until i combo them out it's really rough when you get the cavern harpy into play and have something like a quattle or something in hand they can just never get through that so uh, yeah, that was a pretty quick 2-0. In match two, I played against the Mono Red Initiative. This is the Stompy variant with the Caves of Chaos Adventure and stuff like that. Game one, I grinded through a turn two Blood Moon. I fetched a basic island and I had a forest in play or something like that or in hand. On their turn three, they decided to pitch a Spirit Guide and cast the Caves of Chaos Adventure. This was quite great because it meant that I could flash in my quattle, draw a card, and take the initiative to get more basics. <laughs> this really bit my opponent in the ass because with that those extra basics, I could start casting Uro, 
I could escape Uru eventually. And we we ended up in a situation where my opponent had given their Chaos Adventurer two plus counters. And I gave my escaped Uru two plus counters. So it was an 8-8. Eventually, I just grinded them to pieces. Oh, that's fabulous, though. Winning through a Blood Moon like that. It's got to feel so good. Yeah, it felt really good. In game two, though, this was a nail biter. And... You know, my opponent played a chalice, started playing some rabble masters and stuff like that. But they managed to get a Karn, the great creator, quite early into play and got a liquid metal coating that I could abrupt decay. But then they very early, I think turn two, they squeezed in a Trinisphere, which made gameplay very hard but you know i was just trying to you know play some cantrips uh, like cantripping creatures because uh, chalice wasn't one eventually i'm facing down like a simian hard casted simian spear guide two rabble master tokens and my opponent has uh, like car and trinosphere and i only have a cavern harpy in play so my opponent plus on the trinosphere and attacks with trinosphere simian spear guide and two one ones and if you know the text on trinosphere it has to be untapped for the effect to work Ouch. and i i had uh, i had two duels untapped but three basics so i flashed in quattle and my opponent was very confused and uh, then realized what would have happened i explained it like can i read trinosphere just in case and i was like yep this works and he was like, oh god, what have I done? My opponent actually casts Chaos Warp on Quattle to save their Trinisphere. Wow. And what happens is I shuffle the deck and reveal another Cavern Harpy, which picks itself up. And then I proceed to block the Trinisphere and return my Harpy. And then I untap and jam a Luren and combo them to death. Jesus. Wow. Yeah, that, that Trinosphere attack really hurt. But th- those are two really cool games, though, in the same match. Yeah. Wow. Grinding through Blood Moon and, uh, you know... Trinosphere. Don't... But not. Like, sure. <laughs> it, it works It works with Ensnaring Bridge if you have three, three or less cards in hand. That works. Ah, oh, three or more cards. But Trinosphere, don't do it. Like, especially in... One of these matchups, like, I guess that my opponent was just, you know, not used to that interaction, which is very reasonable. Yeah, they sure don't make artifacts like they used to. No. <laughs> I wonder, sort of, do you remember originally, like, if there was any philosophy behind this, that artifacts... Had to be untapped? Like, 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 like why would Trinisphere need to be untapped for this to happen? It's just... Yeah, it's it's sort of like Howling Mind and Winter Orb as well. Like, yeah. they need to be untapped to work. I just think that's very, it's hilarious. Because Winter Orb, for instance, checks on untap. And if it's untapped, like you have a Karn, uh, no, uh, Urza, you tap it in your end step, you get the full money, you can untap. Mm. So it's very weird. That was a way to win. So moving on to a game like Match Free, I played against Jeskai Stoneblade. And game one, I get very mana screwed. And, you know, sometimes you have to realize when you're beat. And I did that after 12 minutes uh, of gameplay. (laughs) We played some cantrips in the beginning. Both of us were digging for lands. But eventually my opponent landed Narset, landed Teferi. And my deck is not really 
built to beat Narset because I draw a lot of cards and Teferi like hinders a lot of my combo opportunity. So even if I would have just played against Narset and resolved an Aluren, I can still gain so much life with Uro. Like impossible for them to win amounts of man- uh, like of life and uh, I still get to draw a card on their turn. But with Teferi like that instant speed interaction doesn't work. If you're playing the recruiter version, you can still combo kill them. It's a bit trickier with this interaction. You also open yourself up to swords to plowshares and whatever. Sure. It's very nasty. Yep. But in game two, it's quite a grind. I get a carpet into play and just start casting a lot of creatures. And eventually these creatures just get there. <laughs> and like It's very hard to deal with card advantage while being beat down. So that was grindy game, but not too eventful. But... In game three, this is a very exciting game. I get to land a carpet as well, but this time around, my opponent casts an Isset Staticaster and uh, starts by shooting my Quato and then untap, and I'm sitting with a Strix in play as well. You know, it doesn't feel great. I'm up five cards. Uh, like, I, I, I'm sitting on five cards, and my opponent is sitting on two cards. And my opponent just plays a very fair Days Undoing to draw new cards so we both draw seven and my seven is very packed i have uro i have double veil of summer i have bowmasters two fetches and a decay i play uro pass and my opponent plays a brainstorm which i start by veiling and he's like oh shit and then i played my bowmaster which get to shoot free at the isset static caster and one to face this is a very nasty interaction like the Isit Static Caster can't ping my Bowmaster either due to the Veil. Oh. So that's that's very nasty. Anyways, I also flash in a Quattel to, you know, put more salt in the wound. Of course. And take my turn. My opponent plays a Teferi and gets to bounce the Bowmaster. It's no use, you know, bouncing the Orc army because I get to shoot Teferi with the Bowmaster and still get a get an army so at least they're thinking of soaking some damage but at this stage it's very hard for my opponent to do anything i have two carpets in play at this stage mm. so i take my turn and i just play a veil <laughs> without anything on the stack it resolves i play bone master pink to fairy ponder brainstorm and learn <laughs> and my opponent is dead so very very spooky game with the Static caster into days undoing, just drawing, like equalizing everything. But uh, everything turned out in the end. The way you pilot this deck, man, I have to say, it is. I mean, you've been playing it for a long time and you are quite a good player. But finding these lines, I. Uh, this is glorious. Yeah, sometimes it's. Uh, it's about, you know, optimizing uh, certain situations and. The static caster <laughs> optimizing certain situations. Yeah, that's one way. What's that's one way of putting it. Sure. Yeah, and like I mean, the static caster. I don't have that many answers to. I have the case, and I'm playing three of them. But you know, this is just way more satisfying. I get so much pressure in play as well with the army and stuff like that. So that's I uh, yeah, a big fan. Then to the final game, I'm up against one of the new kids on the block. And this is not in terms of a player. This is one of the people organizing. who has been playing for a very long time. But it's against a new iteration of a beloved deck. It's the Paradox Engine One Ring deck. Ooh. For people who, don't, who haven't seen this deck yet, it plays a lot of mana. 
it's very fast and aggressive. It's an Ursa Saga deck that also plays the One Ring, a four of, and Paradox Engine that says whenever you cast a spell, you may untap all non-land permanents you own. So with Grim Monoliths and Basalt Monoliths and stuff like that, if you have a the One Ring in play, you get to untap that as well and just keep on drawing so many cards. Oh, wow. Untapping the One Ring? I didn't think of that in yeah. the first place, but that's so good. So like the, the chance of you bricking is close to zero after two or three taps because you just draw more and more cards and uh, like eventually they can just throw a, like whatever mana they have floating big ballista at you it's very scary and it's consistent too like it needs this critical mass of cards to get there but the one ring buys time and draws so many cards so uh, this is a very cool deck and i recently cut my um collector from the sideboard so uh, i might have to reconsider that again <laughs> I, I was playing you know some counter spells like i think i brought in a force of negation and then i brought in like brazen borrowers seeds of innocence and pernicious deed because i can't live without pernicious deed who can i don't want to live in a world where pernicious deed is not in my sideboard but i lived there for a long time so i know how dark it gets yeah let, let, let's not talk about that yeah so in game one it's quite scary but you know playing four bowmasters against the one ring deck is also quite good mm. so my opponent plays the one ring on turn two or three i think and i get to flash in a bowmaster and and shoot them for one because then the etb happens and you know it doesn't get cooler than that but it kind of wins the game on its own this bowmaster together with one force of will because their engine is pretty much i'm gonna draw all these cards and i'm sitting there with a two mana spell that says it's gonna hurt after the first the first the first tap you get for free then it's gonna hurt you know force of will i force of willed a uh, mystic forge because in that deck they have so many colorless spells and they were sitting on so much mana it's not gonna end well so i eventually win bowmaster like the best goat in this game two my opponent my opponent mulligans to six and plays ursa saga and voltaiki because of course you can also untap the ring with voltaiki uh, along with you all of your grim monoliths and stuff and i just play land go my opponent plays a city of traitor and passes so this feels like a very different game ursa saga beatdown i just play land go again opponent makes a construct and untaps draws a card and makes another construct and get a mox opal and uh, you know when they don't make a second land drop uh, a third land drop after that it means that their city of traitors is quite valuable for them and them getting the mox opal from the saga made me think that mana like they were constrained on mana so i just decay one of the constructs and take my turn and then i look at the board city mox opal voltaki in a construct opponent didn't play a land either due to city of traitors not wanting to lose that or they don't have any so i tell my opponent like we're good friends i tell him i'm gonna go the aggro route i play a land and i just decay the other construct to put him off metalcraft mm. my opponent takes their turn and pass back oh, 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 oh. great I untap. Good read. Yeah, I untap and I play land pass. Opponent takes their turn and same cycle happens again. No land, pass. 
I flash in two bomb bowmasters. Shoot them for two and untap. So the one ring is going to be not a particularly good way out of this situation. It's going to hurt. And at this point, I'm sitting with force of will, force of negation in hand, a brainstorm, and I draw the absolute best card I probably could in this situation. Maybe abundant uh, seeds of innocence would have been better, but I draw cavern harpy. This is a beating because I get to attack them, and then I get to play harpy and pick up bowmaster to increase the clock quite significantly. And at this point, I'm still sitting with two force effects ready, although I only have a free card hand. And that's because I can pick up Harpy and pitch that too. So my opponent draws a card. I just attack with everything. Opponent scoops. So yeah, this was a pretty clean 4-0. I think Bowmaster is quite the card. All right. I think it's very good. And Yeah, it seems like it. it's you've been you've been talking about four match wins here, eight game wins, and I think you mentioned Bowmaster in at least six of these. Yeah, I think the only the only game like match I didn't play a bowmaster. I I think I boarded most of them out against depths, so I didn't play it there. But sure. it's I I always keep one so I can have the combo kill. Yeah, yeah. But against the mono red, I mean, I did get to play it once. I think I pinged. I got to ping a token and double block a rabble master, and it's pretty good. Pretty good deal. So yeah, I think this card is really good in, in Aluren. It has so many synergies and it allows you to play, like I cut Strixes to fit this card. Yep. Also a Serorak and Ether Channeler. So yep. I get to sit and be even more reactive than before. Yeah, because I think like in, in lots of decks that, that play the Bowmaster right now, it it's played as primarily a reactive card. Yeah. But you are also in the position where you can play it super proactively, of course. Yeah, and like just have a combo with it. Yeah. You know, sitting, passing on two mana before you telegraphed Quattle. Mm-hmm. And now you telegraph all sorts of problems. They have to play around things differently. Oh, for sure. So yeah, I'm very happy with this iteration of the deck. Yeah, I can imagine you going forward in a similar fashion from uh, in the foreseeable future. Yeah, let's hope so. And that, my friends, is all we have for this episode. Are you getting ready for the upcoming Nordic Legacy Masters 2nd September in Malmö? If you are, let us know in the Discord server. We ourselves are hoping to go. We haven't sort of nailed down all the details yet, but it's tempting for sure. Big event, guys. You can find a link to our Discord in our episode description. And in addition to Discord, you can hit us up on Twitter still. It's, uh, you know, we're still there currently at STHLM Legacy personally present there as well christopher where can our listeners get their 4-0 strategies they can hit me up on monolith mtg at uh, is it twitter or is it x or is it twitter x now i'm confused but you know the the site <laughs> the social media one yeah one of the big <laughs> ones i'm i'm on the same platform i guess under disco drogo that is the end of the 94th episode of Stockholm legacy report thank you christopher Wikström. i am victor bernhardt's special thanks to you for listening the great frenes has written our music you can find more of their work on spotify and until our next episode happy pride